Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, really? See, look at that. I'm actually a witch. What? I can't stress that enough. I think really what you believe about yourself is either going to murder your chances or it's going to change your life. And that absolutely applies to whether or not you decide to move forward with an idea you have. That's my guest on today's episode of the Mic Drop Moment. She's been called the most memorable voice on the internet, original in a world with too little of it, not safe for work, and also really kind of sweary. And this episode is as well. So definitely listen to this when the kids are not in the car. And don't listen to this at full volume if you are at your office. And speaking of being at an office, if you are, then this episode might make you want to quit your job and start over. My guest today is the one and only Ash Amberger. She's the author of the brand new book, The Middle Finger Project, which is also the name of her website, blog, and empire that she's run. And I'm going to call it. I'm going to do it right here. I believe that this book, The Middle Finger Project, is going to be an international bestseller. I got an early copy to read, which is like one of the perks of being a podcast host these days. I got an early copy to read, and I couldn't put it down. A lot of times when I get a book, I can read a chapter or two, and it's like, all right, I get it. This one I read cover to cover. And when I was home over the holiday season, my mom stole the book and read it as well. In this episode, we talk about trusting yourself. We talk about doing the thing you want to do, listening to the naysayers and learning how to ignore them. And we talk about Roseanne Barr growing up in trailers. We laugh a lot. We make fun of juices. And I think I became instant new best friends with Ash Amberjay. So here's my plan for you. Check out the episode. Again, maybe not with the kids in the car and definitely not at full volume if you're in an office. Check out the episode. I think you're going to find that it has this kind of very ash, unconventional personal story whipped into an empowering message that kind of makes everyone want to practice radical self-reliance, which is also covered in the book. But also go get a copy of the book. Get a copy of the book for yourself for your girlfriends, for your best friends, for your mom friends, for all the people in your life who could use a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of like butt kicking to go out in the world and do the thing that they were uniquely made to do. I had so much fun. As you can tell from the intro, we were laughing the entire time. And actually, this is one of the very first episodes that I am just running beginning to end. I'm not weaving anything out. And uh, I think you'll see why. So thanks for checking out this episode. Go grab Ash Amberjay's new book, The Middle Finger Project, everywhere books are sold. Check her out at themiddlefingerproject.com as well. Let's dive in. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your Mic Drop Moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. <laughs> we are officially recording. Please start it that way, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to take your laugh and apply it to like all future episodes. Whenever I say something I think is funny and the guest doesn't laugh, I'm just going to like push the ash button and get a, get like a raucous, lively laugh. Good, Please right? do all of this. I sound a little bit like Roseanne Barr right now, but I don't even care. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh my God, that Roseanne laugh. That, okay, wait. So let's talk about Roseanne. Like, because you and I, you and I have talked quite a bit. We've shared pictures of, uh, of our trailer park pasts. <laughs> and so was Roseanne Barr like an iconic hero in your household too? Like you definitely watched every single episode, right? Every single one. And I thought, like, they are fucking rich because they have a basement. Yes, I know. And they had steps, stairs. Yeah, I was like, I was like, the basement of my house is a set of wheels. (laughs) 
they did have a basement. You're right. Hold on. And I, it was like, and there was an upstairs and I thought, oh my God, an upstairs. Like I would be happy with a double wide, but we don't even have that. The double wide was my dream growing up. It really was. Like, wasn't, and you looked at them and you were like, you are, you're really doing well, aren't you? <laughs> you guys have won at life. Yes, absolutely. I used to go down this one block that had like two double wides at the end of it. And I would just fantasize about moving into them. And one time it came on sale. One of them did. And they had the really cute siding on the side, which was different from my tin siding. (laughs) And I, yeah, I would fantasize. I think it probably was like, I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out $80,000 because it came with some land. And that was just way out of our budget. I, I, there was, there was, I remember, I remember being little and, and seeing people who like had like grass around their trailer and thinking like, oh, that, that would be nice. Like a little patch of grass. Like, and I, I remember one time like coming up with a scheme of like, well, I was going to the library and looking up like, does grass have seed? And can I steal the seeds of their grass blades to make grass grow in my yard? <laughs> oh my God. Because the photo I saw of your trailer, like it, it makes me feel like maybe you were somewhere in like the, I don't know, backwoods of of New Mexico, like Arizona. Arizona, yeah, it looked really dry there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that's the reason why the people with the grass were really rich because they could afford to water it. Oh my god! Yeah, no, pe- that was a secret. We had some grass in Pennsylvania. I mean, like I feel like I'm I grew bragging. on its own. Right? Yeah, I'm bragging. Yeah, oh. you're. Yeah, it's okay. Fine. You're, this is like a very like Indian caste system and you are higher than I am. <laughs> higher ranking. It is. You know what? One time I dated a guy who had uh, alopecia where his eyebrows would fall out. I promise this is related. And, and I would feel so bad every time I was in the bathroom, like plucking my own eyebrows out. I would close the door so he could never see me doing this task. And I feel like that's what just happened. I just, I'm, I'm yeah, I used to mow my lawn, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> like did it was it automatic or was it one of those ones that was just a push mower like with no power? Oh, I, like just I clippers. Oh, I pushed it. Oh, yeah, we had the clippers ones too at one point. Yeah, and yeah, they were rusty. The clippers ones. You know what's funny though? Like even in LA, just a, a few years ago, after I'd, I'd made it out of the trailer park, <laughs> and uh, we had in our house we had we had grass, and it was like not enough grass to really have like a gas lawnmower. So we got one of the clipper ones, and I felt like so old timey and cute every time I was like. <laughs> I wanted to go out there with like overalls and be like, how y'all doing? Because it felt so – I just felt old-timey. <laughs> yes. I, I mean I didn't really picture the overalls. My first image of you was with like these like old man high socks like coming up and – you know, like, Every day. Like really long khaki shorts that were like oversized and baggy and maybe like <laughs> some kind of a trucker hat but that was not ironic at all. <laughs> it was like – some kind of vegetable stand. <laughs> it actually just was from the truck stop. Like I didn't – the Flying J truck stop with the best <gasps> pizza. What? You had a I, Flying J? No, I read it in your book. We weren't rich enough to have a Flying J. Oh, we God. had like – we had like a nothing. We didn't even have a 7-Eleven where I was at that. <laughs> I got really excited about that. Every time I go back no. home, I stay next door. They put a Holiday Inn up next to the Flying J. Ooh. Yeah, because there's a lot of truckers that stop there. So now I hang out with those guys when I go home. That's some good hooker territory. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, I definitely I I, I cheers them all. What's up, girls? Uh, yeah, you know what? And you know, this is a how's this for a segue? Your new book, The Middle Finger Project: Trash Your Imposter Syndrome and Live the Unfuckwithable Life You Deserve, is in a way like a message to even those girls of like go do whatever makes you happy, whatever you're meant to do in this world. Yes, like yes. I, I love this. I have I pulled this one piece out because I thought it'd be an interesting way to start the interview. But we're going to start the interview with all the trailer park talk, and then <laughs> we'll go into this. You wrote on on uh, in the book. You wrote when you get the courage to try something new, you will threaten people, good people, reasonable people, trusted people, people you've known for years. Your ambition will be a sore reminder of their lack. You will be mocked. You will be teased. You will be questioned. You will be poo pooed. And for a very brief moment in time, you will wish to reconsider. Don't. I love like. I I read the whole book in a, in one sitting. My mom then stole the book <laughs> and read it in one sitting. And I sent you the picture of her like flipping off the camera. Wait, you did? One... I didn't see that. Oh, maybe no, maybe maybe I just posted on Insta. I'll send it to you after. So I feel like for me, as I read the entire book, that paragraph was like what I kept going back to of like this is what this book is about. Don't listen to 
even the people who you love a lot in your life mm. because they have reasons to maybe tell you not to go forward. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. The dream zappers of the world, even the well-meaning ones. This is the terrifying. Yes. Yeah, I dealt with that a lot, I, especially coming from this small town where no one really did much of anything. Everything is a threat. I mean, you like put lipstick on and you are threatening the population. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you go to the city and people, do they look when you come back? It's like, oh, Miss Fancy Pants is back here from Philadelphia. Yes. I, I mean, yeah. there were actual like rumors circulating about me, like things, uh, like mean things being said about me anytime I would I, I maybe go back or not. But it was weird. It was like, gosh, I kind of thought that, you know, when – You've got this small town, I'm going to say hero here, who goes off to like play in the big leagues, like baseball or football. And you come back and you've got like signs put up about you in town. Everyone's celebrating your success. I kind of thought that was going to happen <laughs> naively. That did not happen. <laughs> yeah, you would be, be given like the seat on the parade. Like you'd be sitting on the convertible in the parade. Yes. I mean, it would definitely be a Mustang from like 1998 yeah. and it would be great. It would be cherry red and there would be a man driving next to me with like a very long beard and he's wearing a Harley Davidson t-shirt and I, I would totally <laughs> rock it. And that's exactly what would happen. But none of that happened. Instead, now when I go home, I'm kind of greeted by – these looks of like, why are, why are you wearing a fur coat? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't wear a fur coat. <laughs> why are you wearing, you know, like anything other than those uh, construction boots? You know what I'm talking about? Those. Uh, yes. What are these? Yeah. You've got your, um, it's something that would go with a caterpillar for sure. Though. Yes. The caterpillar yeah. jackets are popular. Yes. Actually, those are kind of retro cool. I would wear one of those. I mean, just now I was back for Thanksgiving to kind of check out the scene and I deliberately bought this ridiculous oversized puffer coat because I was like, well, this isn't too fancy. In fact, I just look like a giant snowball. So I'm going to fit right in. I mean, it's just a puffer coat. It's not, it's not a pea coat. It's not anything. <laughs> it's not wool. It's, it's nothing. It's just a fucking puffer coat. And sure enough, like everyone in town was coming up to me being like, what are you wearing? What is this <laughs> coat you're wearing? And then like I would walk into places and like the bartender who saw me the day before and asked me about the coat would start like knocking people in the shoulder and being like, look, look, check out her coat. Look, tell, tell her to open her coat. Look what's inside. It's weird. <laughs> uh, I feel that way when I go back to like my small little – my small little town, we went back for Christmas and I was there with my husband who was like a gorgeous like messiah of a man. <laughs> and I and it, like I'm there with like my spiky blonde, not natural hair and my beautiful husband. And I'm like, these people are literally like, look, the queers, man, you know, <laughs> oh, like that's the thing. Yeah, it's the thing. the thing. And and so I guess if those are the people who are dream zapping you, you should definitely forget about them immediately. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but the good people do too. The, the people you love. The people you love. I know. And they think that they're doing you a favor. That's the hard part. But at the same time, I I have to take the opinion that so much of that, maybe it's not conscious, but by telling someone about your dreams and that you want to do something else, you are indirectly insulting their choices to stay. And I think that's kind of where things get a little difficult for people internally, even if they don't recognize that themselves, uh, especially with parents. You're kind of insulting their choice. Uh, I remember my mom used to say to me all the time, she used to cry when I would sneak out the back door of our trailer because I was embarrassed. And she would be like, I'm trying. You know, I thought I did as good as I could for you. And it was it was a very emotional thing. So by wanting better for yourself, you're essentially saying to someone else, you know, I don't think that this is good enough for me. And that's hard. And it's hard, I think, for them to reconcile their decision to to stay, right? To not to not try to get out because it's like, oh, it's easy if I say, it's easy if I look at it and I say nobody nobody could do it. No one from here ever does anything. So of course I'm okay that I never did anything. But when someone does go and do something, then it's like, well, then why didn't you also go do something? Right. It's 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 like a it's rubbing it in their face by accident. And, uh, you know, I even had one of my dear friends, a really good friend of mine, say to me one time uh, when I first started writing on the Internet, you know, when like when like all you had was a blog, 
She said to me, and not even joking, she was like, you know, I follow your blog and I just don't get it. Like all of the stuff that you say is so common sense. Maybe I should start a blog. And she like, <laughs> she totally insulted me and all the work I was putting in. And it's like, why did you just say that, man? Right. You had to know that was cutty and awful. Yeah. And, and, and the only right response there is maybe you should. <laughs> well, you know what I say to people is I actually call them out now because sometimes I'm so surprised, especially now that I'm not <laughs> in that in that mindset. I'm used to now interacting with people that this is like normal. So whenever someone says something like that to me now, I'm just like, did you actually just say that to me? <laughs> so good. <laughs> I have to. It's, I mean, it's some girl the other day even said something to me, which was not even work related, but it still came out of my mouth. I was back home for this Thanksgiving trip. And she looked at me and I was wearing some kind of funky earrings. And she said, oh, my God, like, you know who would love your style? My mother. <laughs> I was like, did you really just say that right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. And your mom sounds fabulous. <laughs> it just keeps coming out left and right. Wow. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that, it's, it's it's such an interesting thing that we we want to you, – you wrote in the book – that we want to hold people back, that we want to to keep them uh, not even with us, but down with us. And you wrote in the book that because this gets said a lot, and I think a lot of people who listen to the show who are looking at things and, and maybe they're thinking of doing an online course or they're thinking of starting a business and they think, oh, the world doesn't need another. And you wrote in the book that the idea that the world doesn't that you wrote that the world doesn't have enough writers, photographers, designers, artists, nipple piercers, because we hear that so often of like, oh, great, another copywriter. Yeah, great. Perfect. Go, go do that. Why do you <laughs> think that is that we get we feel like we can't go create something because someone else has created it? It is weird. I feel like people are under the impression in general that if you're going to do something, it has to be this new thing that no one has ever come up with before. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no value there. And I think what they're, what, what they're doing is accidentally devaluing the, what they bring to the table. And I don't think that they see it that way. They see copywriter being this very functional work that you take an order from a client and you perform the work. And they're looking at it very much from the perspective of being a freelancer. And a freelancer does take orders. And so it's kind of like, you know, well, freelancers are interchangeable. Uh, whereas I prefer to look at things from the advisor's standpoint. An advisor doesn't take orders. An advisor is giving them. So what do you know? How can you help your clients and, your, and the folks that you're working with that only you – in the way that only you can do? Because, gosh, you and I have this fantastic trailer park upbringing that has absolutely <laughs> informed our, you know, our businesses, the way we show up in the world, our personalities. And there's value in that, so much value. No one else can do that. No one else can have this podcast the way that we're recording it right now. No one, Mike and Nino, no one. Yeah. It's this idea of – I mean this is like a very uh, a very popular topic in the world of like diversity and inclusivity. But there's there's value in intersectionality of saying, yeah, I might be a, a 39-year-old gay white male and there's other 39-year-old gay white males. But also like I have a bunch of different other things as well. And I think that the, the power sometimes in like creating a brand and creating a business is understanding your own like what is your own unique little uh, – DNA because more of that needs to show up in the work. Mm, yes, 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 yes. I, I really think that um, people in general are really nervous. They're just nervous to bother other people. And I think if they feel like they don't have anything special to offer the world, that they're just being a nag when in reality – they are being so helpful to somebody else by showing up and saying, yo, man, you need my help. I can help you. Here's how much it costs. That's valuable. And you doing it in the way that you're doing it is so, so valuable. Um, I can't stress that enough. I think really what you believe about yourself is either going to murder your chances or it's going to change your life. And that absolutely applies to whether or not you decide to move forward with an idea you have. Yeah. And and you wrote about I mean you wrote about that in the book. You talked about that that time where you you figured out how to create a PayPal pay button and sent an email out and said, "Hey, <laughs> here's the thing I'm doing." And uh and like, I don't know, I'll figure it out as I go. How Yeah. 
Ooh, yes. My girlfriend Chelsea and I were just having this conversation the other day because she lives in Costa Rica. She owns a wedding planning company. And as a part of that, she actually does wedding cakes. She's a trained pastry chef. And someone said to her one day, well, how do you feel comfortable taking an order for a cake that you have never made? Like this extravagant, crazy cake you don't know how to make. And she just naturally was like, well, I might not know how to make it right now, but I'll figure it out. (laughs) And that is such an – it's just like speaks volumes to the perspective and the mindset of an entrepreneur versus someone who is not because most people would say, I don't know how to do that and therefore I can't take the order. Yeah. That's radical self-reliance, isn't it? Yeah. You will figure it out along the way and trusting that you will. So important. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing too, like when uh, for a public speaker, for example, they're going to go give a you know they're going to go give a talk and it's like a forty five minute speech and they say hey I want my I, I it's ten thousand fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollars and somebody says whoa for an hour of work and it's like no 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 it's not that hour of work you're getting it's all of the things I did before that to bring this and so the same thing with the cake it's not that she's just figured out Duncan Hines and she's going <laughs> to bake a cake. She's a professional who will figure out a new design, but she knows she has all the skills and structure to trust herself that she knows when the time comes, she'll be able to build whatever she wants. That's <laughs> radical self-reliance. I love this definition. I should have put that in the book. I like it. Why didn't you co-write this with me? Oh my gosh. This book, by the way, <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I've, I've, we've known each other and been around each other. And then like recently we're like, oh my God, wait, I need to know you more with each other. But- <laughs> I knew the book was going to be good. I knew that it was going to uh, be witty and and insightful and acerbic and say exactly the thing that people needed to hear. I didn't expect, I have to say, I didn't expect all of the all of the ash to show up in it. Ooh. I mean, you really <laughs> you really take I mean like I cried. You were talking about you were talking about uh, you were talking about your uncle, Uncle Jimmy, mm-hmm. and uh, when he was when he was dying, and him asking you call me dad, and you said in here that you you knew something that he never would that Uncle Jimmy meant so much more to me than Dad ever would. I started bawling, Ash. Oh my god, bawling. You know what? We edited that scene out of the final book. <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah, and you know what, though? I'm going to include it in the – there's, like, something that happens if you get to the end of the book. You can go to our secret speakeasy, and there's some, like, secret chapters you can download. I'm going to put that back in over there because so many people have been saying that to me. Ah, I started crying. <laughs> Everybody with daddy issues. Everybody with daddy issues is going to cry. <laughs> Thanks for uh, saying that. I'm telling you, this is the only reason I wanted to come on your podcast. I wanted all the compliments. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I really didn't. When I, when I picked up the book again, I knew it was going to be all these great things. I knew I'd like it. I knew I'd laugh. Um, I didn't expect it to be so powerful because you letting people into so much of your story and what, you know, I've read a couple of other books recently by, by, uh, by other folks in the, in the world, in the online entrepreneurial space. And they were very, um, you know, like, here's the things you need to go do and you got to believe in yourself. And it's like, okay, that's a nice message. I I love that you led us into the process of how did you actually, what was going on with you that you sorted out? Because I know that for me, and and I'm sure with so many other people, when they read it, they say, oh yeah, sometimes I feel exactly the way she's saying. And if Ash felt that way and figured it out, maybe I can too. Would you... Was it part of your goal in including that or was yes. it just this is the only way you knew how to do no, it? No, that is exactly what I'm hoping happened. No, this was engineered definitely on purpose. What, what the goal was to find a way to marry a traditional self-help book with memoir. And that's not usually done. And in fact, when my literary agent and I originally started working on this project and figuring out how to pitch that, we were told by countless numbers of people that it needed to be one or the other because that's how – Booksellers, for example, classify books. It's either memoir or self-help. It's got to be one of the other people. Otherwise, no one's going to know what to do with it. And they kept telling us that, and it was getting more and more annoying. So then I became more and more determined to make it happen. (laughs) And uh, I really think that any story that you're telling, yes, there is absolutely value in seeing that someone else has 
gone through it and then has now come out on the other side. Um, but I think that also when you're writing any kind of book, the value isn't really just in my story. It's in then taking that and saying, well, and what does this mean for all of us? Why does this matter? And if you're going through this now, what do you do next? And that was the best joy that I could ever have from writing this book was, was thinking more about the universal meanings that came from my experiences and how that could maybe move the conversation forward uh, among this community of people and any woman who's ever grown up in a trailer park who, who has ever faced the hard, who has been unhappy with her life and her circumstances and who wants more but doesn't know what to do next. And why, why does that matter to you so much? Why is that important to you? Wow, that's an excellent question, Mike. I don't know that I've actually thought about it. I think this is going to take a, like at least 14 seconds for me to ponder, but uh, <laughs> it's it's personal. It's absolutely personal. I think growing up and not having any mentors and not having a big sister and not having even parents to help me figure it out what it left me feeling so alone and so uncertain about so many things and um I always used to get jealous you know people when I was young when I was 21 years old 22 and people would go home to their families for the holidays and people in Philadelphia would ask me hey you know what are you doing you're going home to your parents house for the holidays and you have to like lie and you have to make stuff up and it, it gets awkward and everyone wants to know, like, oh, you're traveling here in Chile or Costa Rica or Barcelona and, and why aren't you home for, you know, do, don't your parents miss you? Those kinds of conversations really always made me feel very lonely and I couldn't help but think that if there's other girls going through anything like that, you don't have to be orphaned in a trailer park to feel alone. I mean, sometimes not having people who understand you makes you feel alone um, or dream zappers make you feel alone. I, I really just... I had to take what I learned and I had to put it somewhere just so I could play a big sister to somebody who needs it. And I think that you've done that even through the Middle Finger Project, the the blog, the website, the products, they've all, there's that theme within them. Did When you first started the Middle Finger Project, when you first started writing and, and selling your selling your art, selling your writing, was that was that part of it then, or did something happen along the way that you said, "Wait a second, this is something bigger than me just selling my my ideas for for to, to live." Was there a place along the journey where you remember feeling like, "Wait a second, this is something else. This isn't just about witty words that help people uh, get the things in life they want." There's a bigger thing happening here in supporting women and showing them the way. Yeah. You know what? Over the years, I kept getting email after email from people that would say to me, I read your writing because hearing your voice helps me find mine over mm. and over and over again. It was almost like it didn't matter what I was writing about, but just the fact that I was writing about it in such an irreverent, fun way, kind of bucking you know, this idea that you have to be serious and professional in order to get taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I really think people were inspired by that. And that part made me reflect a lot. And I did think a lot about how, you know, my own mom being this person who had such a severe social anxiety, I grew up as her caretaker. She did not have a voice. She couldn't find her voice there was no possible way. I was always her voice and I was always the one who was motivating her and trying to encourage her. So I think that a lot of this is a very natural role for me to be playing in kind of a creepy psychological way. Uh, that's what I know. It's the only thing I know how to do. The it's, only um, thing. <laughs> it's you know, and thank God that you're good at it because because otherwise, who knows? We'd be back in the trailer park together. Yeah, I mean, so, don't count on me oh. and bake biscuits, but I can do this. <laughs> oh my gosh, you um, you know, it's interesting. You said uh, you were talking about um, people finding their voice, and I, and I have this belief that that it's not necessarily that. Here's what I believe. I don't think anyone needs to find their voice. I think their voice is inside. And I think they know exactly what it's saying. And I think they've been telling it to shut up, to play small, to sit there. And I think it's about developing the voice. And, and throughout the book, there was this theme of like checking in with your gut and checking in with your 
what is your inside meter telling you and screaming at you? And are you going to let the the dream zappers shove that down? And sometimes we're our own dream zapper. Mm. Are you going to let it shut it down? Or are you going to let the voice that you know is in there? Because otherwise I think that you just stay and you're like, oh, I'm not unhappy because there's no voice telling me I should be doing anything else. And so I think this idea of finding your voice is actually that we need to develop and, and actually just listen to the fucker because it is, she's in there telling us exactly what we need to hear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything profound to add to that, Mike. I feel <laughs> <laughs> I love, uh, it was so funny. Someone the other day was like, Oh my God, I'd love your show. You're a great interviewer. And I was like, you know, what's funny is I feel like, I don't actually ask them any questions. I just like say shit back and forth with people. Well, but that's works. the best way to do it. It's like weird sometimes when you're just kind of being interrogated. So this is I, I, I love having conversations like this. I hate the whole like I hate the whole like oh, this is going to be so awful because I know that someone's going to listen and be like you're talking about so and so, but I'm not talking about so and so. I'm talking about like eighty percent of the podcasts out there that are like now it's time for the wing bang. Thank you, ma'am. Question round, and it's like I don't care. <laughs> About what someone pickle, what flavor pickle they like. like <laughs> you don't I wanna know care who- about my favorite flavor pickle? Um, you, I do. I'd be like, what do you, do you know? My thing, whenever I, I want to find out something of someone's favorite is like, I want to know, like, have I been missing out? Like, is there something you know that I don't know and I need to try that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. I, I like pickle, pickle FOMO sometimes. <laughs> okay. That's that is like the ultimate thing for a gay man to say as well. Pickle phone. <laughs> that needs to be somebody's brand. Somebody register the domain immediately. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But, you know what I love? Go ahead. There's a, in the book you, you talk about, uh, there's a theme and, and I, it really resonated with me. It was actually one of the things that my mom really resonated with as well. You wrote, the only person advocating for you in this world is you. And sometimes it requires going out of your way to figure it out, find the answers, ask for more, speak up, connect the dots and make it happen. Why do you think that so many people don't advocate for themselves? Mm. Like, why is it so hard? We're, we're totally going to circle. We're going to link this question back with the voice topic because you just triggered something in my brain that was on the, I mean, on the topic of like, listening to your voice and then also using that to advocate for yourself. Um, Writing this book was a phenomenal example because even when you've been doing this as I have been for 10 years now and you've created an entire business around your voice, you still can struggle with it. It is so real. So when I was writing this book in the very beginning, uh, I had a lot of people say to me, through different like literary agencies that my voice was very bloggy and that it sounded like a voiceover (laughs) and that I needed to be more earnest and that they wanted to see me start to incorporate real scenes into this book. And instead of saying like, Oh my God, that guy was such a douche. Show us the guy being a douche. Put him in scene and put dialogue and do all this stuff. And at first I was like, okay, well, who am I to say? These guys are the experts. This is what they do for a living. They know better than me. They've been doing this for a really long time. So I'm going to humble myself here and I'm not going to follow my voice. I'm going to try this out. At the very least, it's going to stretch my voice and make it a little bit more elastic. So I've got a little bit more of a dynamic thing going on. And I tried. And I tried for two years. I signed in October of 2015. We started working on this project. And we didn't sign with Penguin until March of 2018. And that is because I spent so much time going back and forth, rewriting and rewriting and rewriting sample chapters according to someone else's tastes and preferences. It did not get me anywhere. In the end, I had an editor from Penguin who was really hot for the project, which was so cool because it was my dream publisher. And she directly contacted me, not even knowing I was represented. And she was like, what are we doing? We have to do a book. And I was like, we're working on it, I promise. (laughs) And when we finally submitted it to her, because I wanted to give her the exclusive first, she was like, basically, very politely, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Like this? (laughs) (laughs) Who is this woman? She's like this. And she said, like, very nicely. She said, this is not 
this isn't your voice. This isn't the Ash I know from your blog. And like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> and so that was the moment when I had to say to everybody else, all of my advisors who definitely meant very well, but who could not be me, um, I had to say to everybody, all right, let's take a step back. I'm going to take this next week. I told the girl at Penguin, give me one week. I'm going to rewrite this the way that I would have wrote it in my own voice without taking into consideration any of the advice that you've given me, <laughs> if you don't mind. And, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, thanks for the space and the trust to do this. And I went back, I took a week, and I rewrote it. And I submitted it to Penguin. And that same week, we had a multiple six-figure book deal. So two, following your own voice, you guys, and, and advocating for yourself. Because it was till the end that I had to say, look, here's what I'm going to do now. We tried it your way, and now we're going to try it mine. <laughs> and what's so interesting is that that I, I mean, I re- I've read it. It is. It doesn't feel bloggy. It feels there's a lot of narrative, and there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of of building out full scenes. I mean, the scene with the the uh, the scene with the, the prospect, ter- yeah, <laughs> Terry the prospect. Like, that's fully built out. the The scene with the with the tomato plant and your mom that is we are in that scene and so it feels like i don't know if that wasn't in the early iterations they read but it's well done narrative throughout as well thank you well maybe that was the result because i really at that point was only writing three sample chapters so the rest of the book writing happened over the course of a year after we signed a contract with penguin and uh, maybe those influences really did come in and maybe all of it, I'm sure all of it strengthened the project overall. But now it's just kind of like a big, big mind fuck in my brain. I don't even know. I don't even know what the book says anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Somebody, you're going on these podcasts and someone's like, you wrote this and you're like, I did. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And then there's me being like, yeah, I think we cut that part. I don't, I don't know. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> That's a that was a funny thing. I I, I had this copy. So like a spoiler alert for people in the world. Uh, when you become a serious journalist like me, uh, you get advanced reader copies of books so you can prepare uh, for your fanciness. And so I uh, I had the book and and of course the those reader copies have the the little statement on the front of like, hey, this is a this is a, a proof that you're getting to review. And uh, my mom was like, oh my gosh, like your sh- like your show is a real show. And I was like. <laughs> Thanks. She's like my biggest fan. Like she thinks I'm Oprah. And but she was like, oh, like you're because uh, because she she just had never seen that before. Like books to her, you go to Barnes and Noble, you get a book. And so the idea of like, wait, you're like an actual, you're like a journalist. And I th- yes, I, watch out, Barbara. Waters. <laughs> Okay. Please tell me, like, I'm trying to imagine what your mom's name would be. And I was thinking Linda. Oh, my God. <gasps> Linda is my grandmother. Oh, my God. Really? See? Look at that. My, I'm actually my, a witch. You are a witch. My my mother's name is Melinda, and she goes by Mindy. No, it's not. That's 100%. pretty close. 100%. Wow. I swear I didn't know that. I mean. No, it's it's uh, – my, my mom's going to listen to this and be like, oh, first of all, she's going to be like, oh, my God, I think that Ash is my new best friend. <laughs> I love you, Linda. Uh, she's going to love you. <laughs> she does. Yeah. And they're young, right? So my mom, like, my mom was uh, 15 when she had me. So my mom and I are like, not that I have friends who are like my mom's age. Um, and then my grandma was 32 when I was born. What? So, oh, yeah. My grandma was 32 when I was born. I'm going to be I'm going to be 40 this year. My grandma's 72 years old. It's amazing. I'm not really that That's awesome cool, right? at math, but I know that that is amazing. Yeah, there's there's just a bunch of young people having babies. That's the thing. So, wow. Well, I don't know if you saw. I mean, <laughs> with all due respect to Mike's mom, I don't know if you saw this circulating on the Internet, but it was kind of funny because it said that if your name is Linda, you can walk into any elementary school and get hired immediately. <laughs> Do you want to know where my mom works? No, she does not. She works. She works for the school district and like the <laughs> superintendent's office. Wow! You got it. That's amazing. I mean, her name is not Linda, so it's like an iteration, the Melinda, right? It is. A, oh wow! It's a derivative of Linda. I feel like this is this is the most profound thing that's happened the entire conversation <laughs> right now. This is this is this is the. I'm just gonna call this episode. Um, when Ash becomes a witch, like that's the name. And I don't even believe in witches. So how about that? <laughs> how about that? Well, 
You're like the high priestess, so <laughs> you got to figure it out. I'm the fat priestess, more like it. <laughs> oh, Don't worry. Oh, there's just I got the mirror. There's just too much good. There's too much good things to eat and drink in the world to worry about that, right? Yes, I did drink some wine last night. It was delicious. Oh, I know. You know what's hard? So I started doing. Um, I started doing CrossFit. Oh. <laughs> and I, then let there be I'm silence. The, I'm the worst combination of people because, like, you know, the, there's like the people at the party you don't want to run into. There's like the vegan. I'm not vegan, so that's okay. There's the vegan. There's the CrossFitter, and there's the podcaster. And now I've got two out of three. <laughs> so like. When I open my mouth, it's just like last week on my podcast, I was interviewing this amazing woman, and people at the table are just like, "Can you can you put your podcast into one more conversation?" And it's like, I'm a meme. I'm an internet meme now. CrossFit and that, and I, I just got to go paleo, and that's the trifecta. Oh, totally. And I, I mean, I think you probably should also enroll in the integrative. What is that? The nutrition. <laughs> nutrition. <laughs> You should enroll immediately. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Wait, so let's talk about this. Why are people so obsessed with multi-level marketing schemes? Like why is it there are so many. There's there's I there's some about wine, there's some about plasticware, there's some about like earrings, we got the essential oils, we got like Wait, even real estate. Is the integrative like nutrition academy one? I don't I don't know if it's an MLM, but it's definitely like I feel like if you are somebody who these I'm gonna get so much hate mail for this. I I say that like so many people are writing me mail. This is not true. But um this will be the episode where they're like, oh my God, he's awful. Uh but I feel like the integrative health people would also be the people who are like popping in with some some essential oils. Well, I feel well, like that's, that's a, a shared Mike. There's a Venn diagram there. Yeah, I mean they're rubbing it all over their keyboard <laughs> shit. <laughs> It's good for the oh. apples. Yeah. And I love it. Like you just this is my other thing. You post something on the internet, right? And you're like, oh my God, I was I um I was thinking about this today. And someone's like, oh, that's cool. Did you know that I have essential oils? <laughs> <laughs> what is the tough to, to me with my podcast, so why not? You know? Yeah, you know what's, so, what's really bothering me that I think we're gonna get the most hate mail about that though, is that we haven't figured out what the name of the thing is. Is it the Institute of Integrative Nutrition? Is that it? I don't know. This is a challenge of like, I try to be so present when I'm interviewing. So I like always turn my phone off and everything because I'm like such a. So we can, yeah, I can Google it. Look, watch I'm me. such a, <laughs> I'm such a, such a, um, a horrible person that I'm like obsessed with my phone. Oh, wait, that's it. That is it. The inst. It's I-N-N for short. That's how you can remember it. Oh, so cute. In. In. You are in. You are in the oh, cult. Oh, see? It you know what? Like I live in LA. We like a cult in LA. <laughs> that is hysterical. Yeah. I think if you actually are in a cult in Philly, like you're really in a cult. Like that one is actually like in LA it's just like, oh, I go to the same yoga place and smoothie place every day. So I def- think I definitely joined the cult. In Philly, like you have to opt into a cult. Wait a second. Do you have a smoothie place too? Because we're adding that to your list. I mean, there is one. I don't go to it. Okay. But I could- that doesn't count yet. Okay, good. I could go to it, but I don't. I mean, the, I don't. the moment you start putting like, I don't know, cellulose tablets or some shit into your smoothie, then we'll talk. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna be like a shameful, I'm going to hide my smoothie so that you never find me on it. You're going to, I'm going to be like worried. You look at my Instagram you're like, <laughs> oh my God, he did it. He's having a smoothie. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a shame. I'm going to like binge drink my smoothie in the dark. <laughs> I actually ordered a smoothie yesterday, so don't worry. Oh. And the girl said to me, she goes, do you want yogurt or orange juice? And I go, no, I'm neither. And she goes, no, but you got to pick. And I'm like, you can't just like use water? Why are you forcing this on me? Ew. So You will have, you will have orange juice or yogurt. Yeah, so which one would you pick? I, I don't – are those swappable? They don't feel like healthy things. <laughs> uh, they also don't feel like it's like – would you like – it's like, would you like to have a cat or eat a biscuit? Like, what What do those have to do with each other? It was very strange. I, I was just like, no. And she's like, eh, that's not the right answer. I think I would get yogurt. What did you get? I got the yogs. And then okay. and then I drank it all. And then I was like, oh, my God. I just fucking like might as well have downed it a half gallon of milk right now. Like, what have I done? Right. It's like you have the smoothie and then you realize, oh, shit. I just had a bunch of sugar and – 
and like yeah. pro- I could have had a meal. I really hope, I really, really hope that all of the little nutrients floating around in like the two grams of strawberries that she put in there are helping <laughs> me fight cancer. Oh my gosh. It's like when people like are like their kale juice and it's like, that is not a kale juice because that's 16 ounces. And if you've ever tried to juice kale before, you will realize that that would be a truckload of kale to get a 16 ounce cup of kale. Wow. Like, there's a drop of kale in there and a bunch of apple juice. Do you hear yourself right now? You just said, if you've ever tried to juice kale, I'm holding <laughs> this against you forever. I used to own a, I used to own a, before I was a speaker, I owned a healthy quick service restaurant group. We had about 15 locations and we were, we had like a juice bar. And was, oh my God. I sound all. <laughs> Who no, are you? I know. You never knew. You never oh knew. Oh my God. Like I kind of feel like I should be bowing to you because 15 <laughs> locations of anything is impressive. But then I'm like, wait a minute here. <laughs> tricked me. He tricked me. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh. oh, we have to have so many conversations. I mean, this, yeah. We do. Yeah, we should just, this is gonna... we should just start our own podcast. I'm not sure what we'd call it, but just so we can I talk. Th- Queens of the Trailer Park. Oh, right. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> That's the name. I mean, I don't know that any of my friends in the trailer park listen to podcasts, but I, I think that it would be a hit in some circles. No, but I think like if people if people are into like the other side of like the real housewives, right? Like, ooh, let me watch the rich people. Like, I think they'd be into watching us mm, you know, talk about what it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know <laughs> what we would do, but it would be the opposite of whatever like Ramona and Bethany Frankel are doing in New York. <laughs> Oh, it would be fabulous. And this be. is not even related at all, but you just reminded me, you know, our mutual darling friend, RKA Inc. Yes. She totally DM'd me the other day and goes, you know what you should do with your book? Since it's called The Middle Finger Project, you should go around and do like a street style interview and be like, you know, stopping people and say, hi, I just published a book called The Middle Finger Project. What do you think it's about? <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be the best like – viral trailer promo it'd be great so yeah we, we would have to do something like that for our our podcast i don't know what it would look like but it'd be great yeah yeah well and then it would be like people would be like pearl clutching because they'd be like wait why is it a guy and a girl that's called queens and they'd be like oh he's a gay <laughs> yes uh when i was visiting my hometown just now i had some guy flat out tell me and granted this was next to the flying J at the bar he told me that he would not read my book um, very adamantly, he would not do so, and he stamped his foot. And I said, <laughs> "Why?" And he said, "Well, because you know, there's no fact in there." And I was like, "How do you know? You haven't read it." <laughs> there's no fact. Yes, and he said, "There's no fact in there." And if it's just your opinion, then opinions change every day. So why am I going to waste my time reading something that's going to change? And I was like, so if I put more facts in there, though, I would have you locked in as a reader for life. Is that what you're telling me? And, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I I really like the facts. I'm like, but you don't believe in climate change. So, (laughs) yes. Oh, God. These are the conversations we'd be having. Oh. It, well, it, it's really funny too. It's like, well, no, there's a lot of facts. It's a lot of like, this happened to me. And it's like, yes, that happened. Um, I started a blog. Yes, that happened. That's a fact. True. It's a factual account. I think, come on, guy. He needs to He needs to stop reading flat earther books. He really just wants to read a, a scientific journal, I think. <laughs> yes. Like yeah, time. yeah. He's hanging out with Neil Tyson. <laughs> uh, what is his name? DeGrasse? No. Oh. Not Degrassi. That's the high school show. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's good. Uh, anyway, that's the that's the thing. You know, so this uh, – I think every human should – I think every human, even the flat earthers, should read The Middle Finger Project <laughs> because it is uh, inspirational. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you giggle. You might pee yourself if you had a baby or two. Like, it happens. I know this. I have all girlfriends, and I know what happens on a trampoline after two babies. <laughs> totally fine. Sometimes I will pee myself just to be like, hey, I'm in. I'm I'm totally bought into this party. <laughs> I'm, like, trying not to laugh because I feel like everyone listening is just be like, that fucking girl, she's so annoying. All she's doing is laughing. And I can't help it because you are so funny. 
No, I love this. Is I'm gonna listen back to that moment anytime I feel low about myself and be like, "You're good, Mike." Like, listen, Ash said so, and she's queen of so many things. <laughs> so, so many things, but not smoothies, apparently. Not smoothies. All yeah. Although I think you made the right choice with the yogurt. Yeah, I mean. yeah. I'll have so, to try the orange juice tomorrow. Let's get crazy up in here. <laughs> you wrote in the book that we need reasons to change our minds about ourselves. How has writing this book uh, changed your mind about yourself, Ash? You know, none of us can see ourselves objectively. That is for sure. I think that in general, we actually need evidence sometimes of our own accomplishments and our own capabilities and what we really are capable of, almost as if you were going to a courtroom. And I kind of picture it sometimes like this. If you were to enter a courtroom and there was a judge who had to decide if you were actually good enough, you would be sitting there making the argument that you weren't. And meanwhile, all the evidence that you have, if you were to write it all on paper of all the things that you've accomplished and done, um, all the emails that you get that praise you for things, all of the compliments that you've ever gotten, and all of the times someone has said thank you to you, the evidence would overwhelmingly be against you. And the judge would have to say that you are actually pretty fucking competent and get out of here. And that's what would happen. So writing this book for me was kind of like that. It was like a piece of evidence now that I can look at anytime I'm, I'm feeling like I'm kind of a big dummy and I can be like, well, I mean, other people didn't think so. They published it. (laughs) And that's a great thing to have on your team. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's the ending. That's the end. That's where we end this Yay. conversation. Oh, write write like, books so you have evidence that you're not a big loser. <laughs> it's a good I think that's like the mantra. That's gonna be the t-shirt. <laughs> write a book so you have proof. Yes, so you have proof in case you ever need to go to court. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thank you for entertaining me thoroughly. Oh. My gosh. You know, so I was like, I was like, we have to have fun on this because I know what it's like to be on book tour and to just be asked the same mundane questions and stuff. So I tried to just have a little fun with you. So thanks for playing along. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's no conversation we could ever have that would be dry and boring and terrible. Like we could talk about dirty socks and it would be fascinating, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's And there's probably some shared like – we probably have somewhere of like, yes, exactly. Like that's our shared experience with dirty socks. <laughs> yes. And then I would be all witchy about it and I'd be guessing, yeah. guessing your color socks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd get it. You'd be like, yeah, it's like almost like you're wearing a blue sock right now. And I'd be like, I am. And you're like, see, I knew it, Linda. <laughs> you have to tell your mom I said hi. I think I will. I think we're, we're BFF now after this conversation. I will. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. I love you bunches. I love you bunches, Mike. BFFs forever. Thank you. Seriously. Oh, thank you yes. so much for inviting me onto your podcast and to share with all of your human beings who trust you enough to put people like me on the mic. Yes, absolutely. You deserve the mic. Ooh, that sounded sexual. <laughs> That's my conversation with Ash Amberger. From the Middle Finger Project, author of the brand new book, The Middle Finger Project, which is available everywhere that books are sold. You should definitely grab a copy or 10. I actually bought a whole case because I'm going to be sharing them with a bunch of friends and and folks and listeners to the podcast because I think it has the ability to change some lives. You can also check out Ash at TheMiddleFingerProject.com. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot if you headed over to iTunes and left a review of the show. And as always, thank you so much for your time and your attention. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 